Life Audio. Welcome to Christian Natural Health with naturopathic Dr. Lauren DeVille. Christian Natural Health is the podcast on how to get and stay healthy God's way. You'll hear topics on nutrition, exercise, sleep, avoiding toxicity, meditating on scripture, what supplements to take, stress management, defeating anxiety and worry, how to reconcile Eastern medicine approaches with Christianity, and a whole lot more. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lauren. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with Viking Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Today I'm going to be meditating on the concept of how to discern truth from deception. So Jesus said in Matthew 24, 11, uh, let me find it. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So he says that false prophets will rise up and deceive in the last days. And they will specifically claim to be Jesus returned, which I haven't heard yet. But um, supposedly that's going to be one of the hallmarks of the last days. People will be claiming to be Jesus. Um, Verse 6, Matthew 13, verse 6, or sorry, Mark 13, verse 6 says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. Um, And they'll also have many signs and wonders, deceiving even the elect if possible. So Matthew 24, verse 24 says that, um, says that for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and great wonders to to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. And in Mark, he says the same thing. Verse 13, verse... Uh, chapter 13, rather, verse 22, it says, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Okay, so the question is, how do we protect against this? So um, I don't know where I originally heard it, but I've heard the the analogy many times that when bankers are learning how to recognize real money versus counterfeit money, they don't train by looking at every single possible type of counterfeit. There's too many possibilities. What they do is they study the real money so that they will understand, even if it's just subtly, they'll see the tiny differences and then they'll be able to recognize there's something off about this, even like on an an intuitive level, even if they can't put their finger on what it is, they'll still recognize the difference. So we know... Um, that the world is confused about what truth is, and that's never been more apparent than now. Um, John 18, 
Um, verses 37 to 38, this is in uh, Jesus' trial. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? So that's so profound, because even back then, people were confused about that you know, nebulous concept. But they're confused, Jesus said, because they don't hear his voice. So we, however, know what truth is. God's word is truth. So we've got a bunch of different um, verses that specifically say that. So John 17, um, verse 17 says, Sanctify them by, by your truth. Your word is truth, in so many words. And then Psalm bunch of psalms that say this psalm 25 um verse 5 um says lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the god of salvation on you i wait all the day so psalms refers to god's truth in many cases but in context it appears to be implying that it is that uh god's truth is god's word uh psalm 91 verse 4 he shall cover you with his his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. And of course, we know from the armor that Paul talks about in Ephesians that um, that's you know the 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 truth is the foundation of that, which I'll get to in a little bit. Um, and then Psalm ninety six verse thirteen um, says. For he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world in, with righteousness and the peoples with his truth, meaning with his word. So there's a bunch of verses on that. And in order to kind of move on on this, I'll skip skip down a little bit. The gospel also is specifically called the truth, although the gospel, of course, is a portion of the word of God. Um, and that means not just the gospels, but the, the good news of Jesus. Um, Colossians 1 verse 5. Uh, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before the word of the truth of the gospel. Okay, and also, each member of the Trinity is specifically called the truth. God is called the God of truth. Isaiah um, 65, verse 16. Uh, let's see if I can find that. Um, 65 verse 16, so that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. So it's part of his name there. Um, and then Jesus, of course, is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Um, John 14 verse 6, um, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, and Jesus is also called the Word. So both of those things go together. The Word is God's truth, and Jesus is the Word, and, and Jesus is truth. So John 1, um, John starts his gospel with that concept. And actually, of the the various gospel writers, John seems to be the one who's biggest on this concept of, of truth. These, these uh, metaphysical ideas he talks about quite a bit, and, uh, and the same is true all the way through his three letters as well. Um, so John 1, 1 to 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And then uh, skipping down to verse 14, it'll clarify for us, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. So back to John 14. Um, 
John 14, verse 17, says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then again, John 15, verse 26 says, but when the helper comes, this is still speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And John 16, verse 13, however, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Um, and then John 1, 5, and 6, 1 John, sorry, um, 1, 5, and 6, Uh, no, sorry. First John five verse six, um, says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit who bears witness because the spirit is truth. So there's many, many more verses that are on this. Um, and then we must worship God in spirit and in truth. Again, John was the one who, who pulled this out. So, um, John four, this was the, um, interaction with Nicodemus. John verse four twenty three. Um, so this is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So in spirit um, is with the help of the Holy Spirit, at least in part, and also according to, because you know we have to have his Holy Spirit sealed in us so that we can actually commune with the Father. And... In truth means according to his word. We can't just worship God any way we want. We have to do it according to the way that he prescribes. Um, and then also the concept of love rejoices in the truth. First Corinthians 13 talks about that. And fruit, the truth and love are both fruits of the spirit, as is listed in Galatians 5, 22 to 23, and also Ephesians 5, 9. Okay, so all of that to say... What we need to do in order to protect ourselves against deception is to know the truth as well as we possibly can. So we renew our minds with the word. So this is Romans 12, 2. Um, let me go there. Okay, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what it, uh, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That is how we will recognize God's will. So God's the, the truth is that foundation. And truth, as I mentioned a second ago, is also the foundation of the spiritual armor. So in Ephesians 6, verse 14, so this is Paul talking about the spiritual armor. He starts off with, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And then he goes on to talk about the breastplate of righteousness and shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, etc. But truth is the foundation. That goes on first, and everything else flows after that. And John also says that only knowing the truth will make us free. Um, that's uh, John 8, verse 32. Find that. Okay, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And you notice that it's only the truth you know that makes you free. Just because it's there, if it's not something that you're aware of, it doesn't benefit you. It doesn't profit you anything. Um, once we know the truth, then we are to continue in what we are taught. We don't look to the right or to the left. So Colossians talks about this. Um, find that Colossians two. Um, six and seven 
says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So that's one way. And then 1 John 2.24 says the same thing. Um, says, therefore, let, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the son and in the father. And truth also, you know, aside from just specifically what's written in God's word, it also means our words that correspond to reality. So, uh, Genesis 42 verse 16 talks about this. Um, Okay, um, so this was uh, Joseph's definition um, with respect to his brothers. Uh, so he's saying, uh, send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you. So the, the, the context was this was when Joseph's brothers long ago had sold him into slavery. He'd been languishing in prison and then he rose to the head of Egypt and there was a famine throughout the land and everybody was sending their people to Egypt in order to buy grain. And now Joseph's 11 remaining brothers, well, 10 because they left Benjamin at home, came to ask Joseph for grain and Joseph was trying to get them to admit who they were and, and show that they were sorry and all that. But because they, he used the fact that Benjamin wasn't there as his pretext. So he said, I think you're spies, so I'm going to keep one of the brothers behind. And then when you come back, you have to bring Benjamin to prove to me that your story is true so that I don't believe that you're spies. Bottom line is he's essentially trying to say, is what you said, does it correspond to reality or does it not? That really should go without saying, but in today's culture, the idea of, you know, your words corresponding to reality doesn't necessarily get defined as truth. So apparently sometimes that's a question. So that is definitely part of the definition as well. And it's also uh, not just what it corresponds to in the physical reality, but it's also whether our words and our actions correspond to our thoughts and emotions. So Joshua shows this. Um, Joshua 24, verse 14, says, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and Egypt. So this is, you serve him not in duplicity, you serve him Truly, you you serve him and with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, as Jesus later says. Um, and First Samuel twelve twenty four, or yeah, twelve twenty four. I can find that. Okay, says only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Um, the opposite of having our actions and words correspond to our thoughts and emotions is called hypocrisy or pretense or unrighteousness. So there's several verses that I'll link to in the show notes or I'll put in the show notes anywhere that describe all of that. I won't go into it right this second just because there's a lot of verses to cover. Um, So what if an idea or a concept or a belief that comes to us isn't addressed in scripture at all? So obviously if, if we're looking to determine whether something is true or not, and the first thing we do is we go to the Bible and the better we know the Bible, the more easily we will be able to draw that conclusion. But what happens if it's something else? So if it's something that the Bible just doesn't address one way or the other, then how do we determine whether we're dealing with truth or not? So the first thing to know is, is it consistent with God's character? So Jesus said in John fourteen fourteen, let me read that again. 
Um, he said, or I guess not again, I don't think I've read it yet today. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So that could mean several things. That could be if you ask anything of God and you say in the name of Jesus. But what I think it means is that there are certain things that are in Jesus' name, literally. So what are God's names? He is Jehovah Nisi. He is the Lord, my banner. He is Jehovah Ra, the Lord, my shepherd. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. He is Jehovah Shama. He is the Lord is there. He is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. He is Jehovah Mekadishkim, the Lord who sanctifies you. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. He is Jehovah Saboth, the Lord of hosts. He, he will do do things that are consistent with his character and he will never violate his word, but he will also never do something that's completely out of character. If it's something that sounds like, you know, this, the, the more, you know, your husband or your wife or your children, the more, you know, the personality of someone, the more likely it is when you hear a story about them, that they said such and such, or they did such and such. You'll be able to pick up whether or not you were there, whether or not you have any facts behind it. The more you know that person, the more you'll be able to say, yeah, no, I don't think so. That's, that doesn't sound like them. I don't buy that. The same thing is true of God. The more you know him, just like it says that Moses knew God's ways, but the people only knew his actions. If you only know somebody's actions, then they could change. That could change tomorrow. It could always be different. You never know what so and so is going to do. But if you know somebody's character, then you can have confidence that if you hear a rumor about them, you can have confidence whether or not this is this is true or not true based on just that knowledge. And the same thing is true of God and God reveals himself through his word. Um, And then you also, we're also told to judge things by their fruit. So we're told in Romans 8, um, let's see, verses 6 to 8. So to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is an enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So how do we know which one we're in? Are we in the flesh or are we in the spirit? So Galatians, Paul lays it out for us. So Galatians five, nineteen through 23. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So look at the fruit of whatever the idea is that has occurred to you or whatever the instructions are, whatever it may be that you're trying to determine is this true or not true. If it's producing all of those negative things, it's coming from the flesh. It wasn't God. If it is producing the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., then it probably was. And you can use those things as your gauge. And so, of course, again, this should probably go without saying, but the opposite of truth is deceit. Um, So Proverbs, let me find that, um, 12, verse 17, um, says, He who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness deceit. So a lot of these, I used to read Proverbs and just think, well, duh. I mean, they're just such obvious statements, but things things aren't always obvious anymore. Um, Isaiah 59 
Verse 4, no one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. So in other words, these are these are juxtaposed against each other. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. Um, and there's several others here. And of course, we know that uh, Satan is the father of deceit and lies, and there is no truth in him at all. Um, Jesus said that in John again. Um, John 8, verse 44. Um, he says, he is rebuking the Pharisees here. He says, you are of your father, the devil and the desires of your father. You, you want to do, he was a murderer from the beginning and he does not, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. So, uh, those who are unrighteous will also want to suppress truth. So we've certainly seen that in our culture, um, that, they don't, you know, there, there's no tolerance for truth anymore. Um, this is Romans uh, 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So um, how do we know the difference between a false teacher versus one who's just flawed? Because we're all flawed, right? Um, so false teachers will distort the truth, first of all. So this is Acts uh, 20. Find that. Um, verses 29 and 30 says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves will, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Um, and Second Peter, Peter talks about this too. Second Peter 3, verse 16 says and also as also in all his epistles speaking um, in them of these things in which some um, is this the right one? Oh yeah um, some so this is speaking of of how Paul's letters were hard to understand and Peter's referring to that so it's kind of funny because Peter was just a fisherman and Paul was this learned Pharisee who was probably one of the most brilliant men to ever live um, so he's saying that. Um, uh, let me actually back up for the whole sentence here. Uh, so verse 14, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother, Paul, according to the wisdom given to him has written to you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, which are in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Okay. Um, and then, Another thing to watch out for is for people to mix the teaching of God with fables or myths. So um, Titus, if I can find Titus, um, 1 verse 14 warns against this. Uh, so it says, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments. So my first thought when I read Jewish fables was that this is referring to the Kabbalah, but I don't think that existed back then quite yet when this was being written um, and commandments of men who turn from from the truth um, and then also merely human commands so this was preached against or talked against in the gospels as well uh, Matthew 16 um, 
verse 1 to 12. So then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, testing him and asking that he would show them a sign from heaven. Uh, He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you will say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites! You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Um, And he left them and departed. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves, because you have not have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many large baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which was just stuff they added to the scriptures, and they they told people that they needed to follow those. Um, and also the traditions of men. So First Timothy refers to this. So again, I mean, that's part of why it's important to know what the scriptures actually say, because it's easy for people to, to think that the Bible says something that it doesn't actually say if all you're doing is listening to what the pastor is saying from the pulpit. So we're supposed to, you know, check it out and make sure that it, it is consistent. Um, 1 Timothy 4 verse 3 forbidding to marry and committing um, to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth Uh, okay so sorry I I should back up for the the full context on that one too Um, so that's verse 1 I'll start in verse 1 now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to, spe- to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with hot iron, forbidding to marry and committing to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So they've just added all these extra rules and said you have to do all these things in order to be right with God, which the Bible never says. So um, many of these will claim or pretend to be godly or moral, though. In fact, they pretty much always will Uh, nearly everybody that you know i've ever met thinks that they're doing right and the question is are they correct about that uh second corinthians 11 um verse 13 to 15 um for such are false apostles deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of christ and no wonder for satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light so of course they're going to you know imitate that um therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works um and back to second timothy um six for i have six five that doesn't make sense because there isn't a chapter 6 in 2 Timothy. So uh, I'm not sure what that, well, okay, I'll let that one go. Um, But so essentially the bottom line is we need to use discernment there. And of course, there's a few, you know, slam dunks. Anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ is a false teacher. First John talks about that in uh, chapter 2 and chapter 4. Some lie intentionally for their own gain. So Deuteronomy addresses this. And the part of the problem is you don't always know why, you know, if they're, if they're lying and at, in the first place and also what their motive is, but this is just letting you know, you know, sometimes this is what's happening underneath Deuteronomy 18 verse 20, um, says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. So the old, te- in the old Testament, this was serious business. Uh, fortunately, we're not under the old covenant anymore. So you don't have to kill a false prophet. 
thank the Lord, thank Jesus. Um, but that was something that God took very seriously because at that point, that was all the people had to go on was, you know, the prophets that spoke in God's name and they could seriously have let everybody off a cliff. Um, Ezekiel 13 verse 9 my hand will be against the prophets who envision futility and who divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, nor be written in the record of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God. Um, so there's lots in the Old Testament that talks about false prophets. And then in, as far as, you know, where we're at with the new covenant, um, Titus also talks again about this. Titus 1. Um, 10 to 11 for there are many insubordinate both idle talkers and deceivers especially those of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped who subvert the whole households teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain um, or they also may do it in hypocrisy so first timothy 1 uh, 4 2 also talked about that others Jesus warned us, may be so blind that they actually believe that they are doing God a favor when they are persecuting us. So John 16, verse 2. Yet um, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God a service. Um, and then Paul warned in Romans 16, verse 18. Um, he warned there that for those who are such, um, okay, backing up. And now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Um, so that means they flatter people and that they appeal to their selfish desires that they themselves have in order to draw people after themselves. So we can't judge motives. We're, we're being told that these are some of the motives that are on the, that, that are happening on the other side, but only God knows the heart. So, um, in Matthew seven, um, this is where Jesus says, judge not that you not be judged. That's what it's referring to. Don't judge what somebody else is thinking for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So that's not for us. We can't possibly like, we don't even know our own thoughts half the time. So the idea of judging what somebody else is thinking is ridiculous. But we're told in that same chapter that we can and we should judge fruit. So this is uh, first, so Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Um, and First John talks about this as well. First John 3 seven and nine little children let no one deceive you he who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous he who sins is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning for this purpose the son of god was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil whoever has been born of god does not sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of god okay so um there's a couple obviously we all still have issues with sin like that's not going to be completely done until we're on the other side and we're in heaven but the way that I've heard this verse explained is that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit 
And within, in, in our spirit, it doesn't sin. It's perfect because as soon as we get born again, we have the spirit of Jesus. It is, it is absolutely perfect. We still have, we're renewing our minds. So there, our soul, we still potentially can, but in the spirit, we cannot. And then we also should be walking after the, the, the leading of the spirit. And the more that happens, the more we will see the progress of things getting better and better and better. So we can look at that fruit still and we can judge from that standpoint. And Jesus warns us in um, Matthew seven twenty one to 23, um, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does, does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's such a terrifying idea. But we're also told that we will be around all of those people who are wolves in sheep's clothing potentially or just those who are deceived and think they're following and they're not until the very end of the age. Matthew 13 um, 24 says another parable he put forth to them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field but while men slept his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way but when the when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop then the tares also appeared so the servants of the owner came and said to him sir did you not sow good seeds in your field how then does it have tares he said to them an enemy has done this the servant said to him do you want us to go then and gather them up but he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So um, all of these, that we have to be on our guard to recognize that just because somebody says, you know, this is what God says, we have to use discernment and we have to know the word well enough and we have to know who God is well enough to be able to see the difference there. So, and another kind of side thought here. So the serpent, Satan used the serpent in the garden, right? He was described as being subtle and cunning. So, and that's, that's the rub. That's why it's so difficult sometimes to be able to tell what's true and what's not. So Genesis 3.1 says the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And then it goes into the fall uh, the, where he deceives Eve and that's what causes the fall of man. In Second Corinthians, this is also referred to, Second Corinthians 11 three to four. Um, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Um, for if he who comes preaching comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may put up with it well enough. You, you may well put up with it. Um, so we have to know it. So know scripture so well that it can't be twisted against us. Satan did that to Jesus. So that was part of the temptations against him in uh, Matthew. This is like right after he was baptized in the Jordan, when he was out in the wilderness. Matthew 4, 6, um, Satan says, if, um, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So Satan was quoting Psalm 91, and he wasn't even misquoting it. He was just quoting it out of context. So there's a couple examples of how beliefs can be so twisted and used against us if we're not careful. So I've heard many teach that God 
allows or even causes sickness in order to teach us something. So hear me, this doesn't mean that he cannot work all things together for good. That's Romans 8.28, and that is absolutely true. He does work all things together for, for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So if you're trusting him for that, he will absolutely do it. But the idea that he causes or allows sickness in order to teach us something, it sounds very spiritual, but Deuteronomy 28 makes it very, very clear. The whole chapter, I won't read it because it's long, um, but it makes clear that sickness is always considered a curse. And so it goes through all of the blessings that we that the, the, the Jews got if they were on the right side of the covenant. And then it goes into all of the curses and it covers literally every sickness that you can possibly think of. And Galatians... 3 um, verse 13 let me see if I can find it hold on um, Galatians three thirteen and 14 says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith so that means that now in Jesus, the curse no longer applies to us, and that includes everything else that is listed in Deuteronomy 28. So God isn't going to use sickness as a tool to teach you something. He might take that sickness or take that bad situation and use it to teach you something because he's just that amazing, but it does. it's a, it's a far cry from saying he caused it. And also the fact that Jesus healed everyone who came to him. So there's so many examples of this. Matthew 15, 30 says that. Matthew 4, 23 to 24. Matthew 8, 16. Matthew 9, 35. Matthew 10, 1. 12, 15. 15, 30. Luke 4, 40. Luke 10, 9. I won't go into reading all of them. And Jesus was a perfect representation of the Father. So I will read one of these. Um, John... Uh, what that means is that what Jesus did, that's exactly who God is. He is only going, Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. And it says, most assuredly, okay, sorry, this is John 5, verse 19. Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. And then John also says the same thing in 530 and 828 and 1249. Another example that's a little bit twisted uh, and it's an example of how people can take what starts out as a good idea and then twist it subtly if they're not very careful so in 2nd Kings um, verse 18 uh, let's sorry 2nd Kings chapter 18 verse 4 so this one is talking about King Hezekiah is, is the king at this time and he is the first good king in a long time so he removes the high places and breaks down the sacred pillars and he cuts down the wooden image and he specifically broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Okay so in Numbers 21 6 to 9 at the time there were all of these poisonous serpents that were coming and biting all the people of Israel and they were dying and, God, and Moses cries out to God and he says what do I do about this and God says make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So that's what Moses does. It's a future type of Jesus. Obviously Moses doesn't know that. And the idea that the serpent is a type of sin and Jesus became sin for us on the cross. That's what it was symbolizing. And God was doing this for future generations who would be able to look back and see it in hindsight. But they didn't know that. And then the Israelites were, were just recognizing that there's this symbol, there's this idol that represents healing, and they started worshiping it. So they actually, so it said, that's why Hezekiah had to tear it down, because it says, for until those days, this is, sorry, I'm back in Second Kings 18, 
uh, for until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. So they took something that was good, but it was a symbol. It wasn't the thing itself. Like the that the fiery serpent on the pole had absolutely no power to heal anything. That's just what God happened to use. And then the people decided to worship that. So not only that, so that was one subtlety, but now later on in this story in in second Kings 18 verse 22. um, So now um, the Assyrians are threatening Israel and there's this guy, this, um, so Sennacherib is the, is the king and Rabshakeh is his mouthpiece. And Rabshakeh is speaking against um, Hezekiah to the people. And he tells them, you broke down God's symbols of worship. You broke down the fire, that, that, that pole with the, the serpent. That was God's symbol. And now you think God's going to come through for you? So this was Second um, Kings 18, verse 22. Um, but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away? And who said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? So the people had to know God's word well enough to recognize that what Hezekiah was actually good. So they couldn't read um, 2 Kings 18 verses 5 to 7, uh, which says he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor uh, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. So the people didn't know that. So they were still using all of these false ways to worship. They were not worshiping God in spirit and in truth. I mean, they couldn't have worshiped him in spirit because they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. But they weren't worshiping him in truth according to the word that he had already given them. They were worshiping him however the heck they felt like it. And so they, what what Rabshakeh was doing was super clever. He was saying, why would God come through for you? So he was basically under undercutting their faith, but he was also setting them up to attack Hezekiah and think and, and create it like civil war, civil conflict to turn it against him. So that's exactly the kind of cunning that the, the serpent was subtle and cunning. These are the kinds of things that we have to be on guard on. And there's so many possibilities, just like, um, just like back to the original idea of the banker who's trying to determine real versus counterfeit you cannot possibly study all of the different types of counterfeit what you have to do is study the truth you have to study what the word says so that you know it inside and out so you know when it's been taken out of context you know when it's been misquoted you know when it's been misrepresented you know if it's not something that's from the scripture at all you know whether this is likely to be God or not because you know God you know the kinds of things that he'll do and you know the kinds of things he won't do and then you won't be deceived. That, I think, is the reason why Jesus said that deceiving the the elect, if possible. So we are called to know his word so that we can't be deceived and to continue in the path that we have been given. So I hope all of that was helpful to you, and I know it was long. Thank you for joining me, and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Christian Natural Health. This show is run by you, so please write in with topic and guest suggestions for future shows. For more great content, subscribe to Dr. Lauren's blog at www.drlaurendeville.com or follow her on Facebook or Twitter at Dr. Lauren Deville. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating in iTunes. It really helps us to stand out so other people can discover great content as well. Have a great week and God bless you.
Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers Podcast, a ministry of Million Praying Moms, and I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's Word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's Word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers Podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.